1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your
0: car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. People ask me, were you, uh, you know, were you were, You must have been the class clown. And I say, uh, no, I wasn't. The Bob Seska Show.
2: former nation's capital it is wednesday april 19 2023 and this is the bob seska interview on the sexy liberal podcast network hi i'm bob hello bob hi day 819 of the biden harris administration 566 days until the 24th presidential election instagram the bob seska twitter bob seska underscore go spoutable bob seska our patreon page bob you got all that Okay, as we all know, Dominion settled its lawsuit against Fox News, which means it's a pretty good day to talk with a media expert. The great Donna Halper returns to the show today. In case you're brand new to the podcast, Donna is a former radio DJ. She introduced American audiences to my favorite band, Rush. She authored six books. She's a media historian and a baseball historian. She's a college professor, and she's a regular guest on such podcasts as this one. So, today we'll talk about how Donna shattered the glass ceiling in radio. We're also going to dig into the Dominion story and a whole lot more. Link in the description to follow her on social media and to read her blog. Meantime, think about supporting this fully independent podcast by subscribing to our Patreon page at show.com. Okay, this is me talking with my friend, Donna Halper.
0: More fun, more music, the Bob Suska Show.
2: How you do it? How do you go from teaching a class to doing something like this? Because if this is I do something... the so- highlight of my
1: day. What? <laughs> Come
2: on. Yeah, because if I do something before I have to do a podcast, I'm completely worn out for the podcast. Uh, it's an incredible thing that you're going right from a class to talking to me. I mean, literally, you were teaching your class minutes ago. Three
1: minutes ago, yes. <laughs> and uh, after I get done talking to you, I'm going to give a talk at a historical society.
2: Oh, excellent. What's the talk about?
1: The talk is about Charlie Donlan. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who's Charlie Donlan? (laughs) Well, I'm, as I'm sure you know, I'm a media historian. Yes. And Charlie Donlan was the first play-by-play broadcaster in Boston uh, back in 1925. He wasn't the first to broadcast a baseball game, but that was kind of like a one-off. They got some guy in a diner and just said, hey, want to do a baseball game? And it wasn't just any guy in a diner. It was a very famous guy in a diner, a guy named Joe E. Brown, who was a vaudeville performer, comedian, movie star. He loved baseball. And they persuaded him to do play-by-play for the day. But Charlie was the first regular play-by-play announcer. And to some degree, he created the state of the art in Boston. Now, every city had a Charlie. Every city had somebody that was like the first... He was ours and he had been completely forgotten. And he just kind of like turned up in my research because, you know, me, I love firsts. I'm like, wow, I wonder if anybody's told his story. And I decided <laughs> that I would.
2: That's outstanding. And it also, I think, combines two of your greatest interests, baseball and broadcasting. There's, Absolutely. Seems like Absolutely. seems like that arena of baseball broadcasters is kind of an untapped area of our history especially in the 20th under century under
1: research and yeah. you know what bobby it's not just baseball it's broadcasters in general mm-hmm. we are regarded and i say we because i spent 40 years in, in the industry oh, yeah. um broadcasters are often regarded well they're just entertainers you know yeah but they are profoundly influential in our culture yeah i mean i hate to swing the topic over for a second to fox quotation marks around it news um (laughs) but whether you like them or whether you hate them just about everybody out there who knows anything about current events has heard of tucker carlson yeah or has heard of sean hannity or on the more liberal side has heard of rachel maddow or has heard of Chris Hayes or people like that. These are not just entertainers. These are people who profoundly influence the conversation, Mm -hmm. who influence the discourse. And yet, there are very few books that have studied the impact of broadcasters on the popular culture, whether it's baseball broadcasters or whether it's political broadcasters. The first time I remember anybody really looking at it was Rush Limbaugh. But even before him, there were people on the air influencing the conversation. So, yeah, I I think that the entire field has not been given the respect that it deserves.
2: That's absolutely true. I was reading something interesting lately about it was specific to podcasting, but I think it very much applies to the old competition between radio and television. And what I read was that audio-only podcasts, like this one, for example, has more active listeners than a video podcast would. In other words, people are more engaged with an audio-only thing because... A lot of times they're listening in headphones or they're listening in the car. I mean, that's one of the big places where people not only listen to podcasts, but going back to broadcast radio, that's where a lot of people would listen to the radio. And that was the the companion unobtrusive that uh, Rush sings about in the spirit of radio. And that has such a huge influence where you're not as engaged with the visual medium as much as you are with the audio only medium. And there's so much to be said. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to be said with that. that And and
1: by the way, I'm going to do a little plug here, but the Pew Research Center uh, for those that are not familiar with it, that's P E W it's named after an actual person who hasn't been around in years, but Hmm. the company, the Pew Research Center, the gold standard, for survey research, okay? They're not partisan, they're not lefty, they're not righty, they're not political at all. And if you need reliable resources, I always tell my students, Pew is one place that you can look. And the Pew Research Center just put out a study yesterday of who listens to podcasts, what they use them for, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and et cetera. So podcasts ain't going away. They are in fact part of that listening experience. I'm delighted people are listening to this one, but the reality is this was not a thing that existed in the world years ago, and yet we have expanded upon the radio experience, you know, the thing that Rush sang about, begin the day with a friendly voice, except you can take a podcast and listen anytime. I listen to podcasts at midnight sometimes because it's about the only free time I have on some days. You know, just hanging out. You can take it with you. You can listen in headphones. You can listen on your computer. The possibilities are endless. And the people talking about different subjects, it's such a valuable experience.
2: Right. And going back to broadcast radio and listening to the radio in the car, for example, because of that level of engagement, it seems like radio would have a better reputation in the milieu of entertainment than it actually does where, you know, TV gets all the attention. Movies get a lot of attention. Now the internet gets a lot of attention, but I think historically speaking, we're really engaged with what we've heard on the radio in the past when, when that Absolutely. was a real thing. And so I feel like it, it deserves more respect as a platform. And you
1: know something people still listen to radio yeah. uh, while it is true that teenagers no longer dream of being DJs the way maybe you or I did, mm. there are still, in a typical week, millions of people listening to sports talk or millions of people listening to their favorite music or millions of people listening to some event or, you know, the, the political talk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's still out there. Oh, yeah. It's still around. And by the way, shout out to Stephanie Miller and people like that, yeah. because while the right wing talk show hosts get all the attention, Stephanie and Tom Hartman and a lot of those other good folks, Randy Rhodes, I mean, they've been around for decades, mm-hmm. getting completely ignored. It's like, oh, it's all concerned. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There are people of Every ideology out there, they're successful, they're stable, and you're right. They don't get the attention they deserve.
2: Absolutely not. And now that we're talking about radio, I have to say, congratulations on being inducted into the Massachusetts Broadcasting Hall of Fame. And you're not only being inducted into the Hall of Fame, you're also receiving a special commendation known as the Hall of Fame Pioneer Award, which is is enormous. How does it feel? Uh, Did you... Were you aware this was coming, or was it a complete Absolutely
1: surprise? Um, in fact, and by the way, the Pioneer Broadcaster Award, I'm the first woman to ever win it.
2: Incredible. Uh, which
1: Incredible. is another thing that just blew me away. No, a very dear friend of mine from the music industry gave me a call to give me a little heads up because he's on the board and of of the Massachusetts broadcasters and I thought he was pranking me okay because we go back years and I'm like yeah right you know I'm gonna win (laughs) absolutely sure I am you know and he was like no you're gonna win this thing you really are okay we all took a vote you're gonna win and I'm like ah (laughs) and my husband's like what just happened (laughs) you know and because um, he's sitting in the other room watching television and we had just gotten done with dinner, you know, and and I just I must have let out a scream or something. I couldn't believe it. No, I, I had no idea. And that's not a humble brag. That's like, uh, really? I, yeah. Because for years I've been doing this work, OK, trying my best to be informative to tell the stories that deserve to be told, doing research into the Negro Leagues, doing research into sportscasters and sports writers, doing research into the men and women in smaller markets who have been completely forgotten because so much of our history is like a history of giant corporations. When in reality, in the small towns, there were some people who were hugely influential. And it's so cool to be able to tell their stories. And it all started because when I was on the radio in college and I was the first woman in the history of Northeastern University, okay, fine, that's a small thing. It was big to me. took me four years to persuade people that, like, the republic wouldn't fall if you had a woman on the air. (laughs) But my point is, when I started, I wondered who had come before me. And no one, all the history books, God bless them, were written by guys. And they basically, nothing wrong with guys. I'm married to a guy. I'm friends with guys. Hi, Bobby. I love you. But the fact is, a lot of the guys that wrote about research and broadcasting just wrote about big corporations and other guys. And they completely ignored the women and the minorities and the guys who weren't corporate who had done very interesting things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, there's no one telling their stories. And these were really influential people in their day. And so I became dedicated to finding out who they were. And I've spent four decades telling their stories. And I didn't do it because I thought I'd win an award. I didn't even know there was an award for this. I did it. Because it's the right thing to do. It's a way to say thank you. It's a way to look back on the people that came before us. Because let's be honest, we're standing on their shoulders, okay? We wouldn't be here if it weren't for the sacrifices that they made to change our industry. And their reward is to be forgotten? Not on my watch. Right. Not on my watch.
2: I think people who have come up in the era of the internet and having podcasts and so on kind of take for granted the fact that in broadcast radio, if you were a straight white man, it was almost impossible to get a job on the air in broadcast radio. You were a woman coming up at a time when, as you just described, very few women were being hired in radio and you did it anyway. And that in and of itself is an enormous accomplishment. Just getting that first gig is oh, yeah. a Herculean thing to achieve. Oh, it
1: was not easy. And yeah. what you're talking about with straight white men, I think we have a, a myth. I see this on some websites. They're like, oh, you know, certainly I have it made. No, you didn't. Even if you were a straight white dude. Yeah. You still had to have a deep voice. Mm-hmm. You still had to, like, you know, be from the right part of the country and not have an accent and this <laughs> and that. And, you know, it, it was just, there were so few jobs and such intense competition. And, yeah, we know all the, you know, we know the Walter Cronkites and the, you know, the Ted Copples and, you know, very, you know, Rush Limbaugh. We know certain big names. But all over the country, there were millions and millions of people who tried and they just never got the recognition. They were maybe big in their little city, and that was about it. And for some people, that was fine with them. They never wanted to take it to the next level. But for other people, they tried desperately for years to get, you know, to get their tape to the right person. Back in the old audio tape days, you brought your <laughs> cassette, you know, Rick Sklar or W.A.B.C., you know, he only had like, what, five DJs and you weren't going to be one of the five. OK, right, it probably right. wasn't going to be you. But that didn't mean you didn't keep sending tapes. You know, we used to joke um, the song by Steely Dan, Ricky, Don't Lose That Number was about people sending their tape to Rick's clock. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that was a little radio joke there because that's exactly what happened every week. And I knew Rick, okay, God rest his soul. Very nice man. Um, Every week his desk would be piled with people, people's tapes from you know Peoria and Tallahassee, and you know, just hoping that somehow he would smile upon them and bring them to New York and they'd be famous. Yeah. And it rarely happens like that. But for a woman, it absolutely rarely happened like that, mm-hmm. because there was this myth. And I've done research on it. I wrote an entire book called Invisible Stars, A Social History of Women in American Broadcasting, came out in two editions, one in 2001, an updated one in 2014. I'm hopeful that I'll be able to do a third edition at some point, because there's a lot that's happened since then. But the fact still remains, since the early 1920s, when microphones distorted the female voice, there has been this myth that women don't sound good on the radio. Now they fixed the problem with the microphones years ago. Didn't matter. The myth had taken hold and it was like, well, if you don't have a big deep voice, we don't want you. And so many people, both male and female, but especially female, got arbitrarily excluded because of that. So yeah, I was one of, I wasn't the only, but I was one of the group of women second wave feminists in many ways, but not all, who were working real hard to get a chance. And as I've said a million times, I don't want to get a job because I'm a woman. I just don't want to get excluded from a job because I'm a woman. If I'm capable, give me a chance. You know, put me in coach, I'm ready to play. But if I'm no good, then fine, I understand. But at least give me the chance. Mm -hmm. And every place that I got that chance, I got in there, I took positive advantage of it. And I'd like to believe I made a difference in some small way. I never got equal pay. I never got a banquet. You know, I never got a marching band. I never got a parade, but I wasn't doing it for that. I was doing it because when I was growing up, the DJs were my friends. The DJs were the people that made me feel better. I, you know, the friendly voice on the radio, yep, you know, begin the day with a friendly voice. This is what Rush remembered growing up, listening to radio and those announcers. They were like your best friends. I wanted to be that for somebody. I wanted to inform them. I wanted to tell them the news. I wanted to do the sports. You know, I wanted to just be there for people the way radio had been there for me. And if I could get equal pay so much the better. But the mm-hmm. fact still remains, I don't regret it any of it. The best things that ever happened to me in my life happened as a result of my being on the radio. I am profoundly grateful, and even if I never won won an award, it is such a privilege to be able to look back on that career and think that maybe I made a difference somewhere,
2: okay? was there a time when you were maybe a child that you first got infected with the radio bug? Like maybe someone you heard on the radio who you connected with and said, you know what? I would love to do what this person is doing on the radio. I would love to do that. I grew up
1: in a radio home. Don't forget television. I I was born in 1947. Mm -hmm. Okay. I am 76, but still young and cute. All right. Still working full time, still kicking some butt, still Mm -hmm. doing what I do. Um, And, When I was growing up, radio was still the dominant medium. And my parents loved radio. So we had radio on in the home all the time. And I was listening to Bob Clayton and Fred B. Cole. And there's no reason those names would mean anything to you. But my point is, they were just ubiquitous in our home. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Boy, what Bob Clayton does, that sounds like a lot of fun. I think I'd like to do that. Wow, Fred B. Cole, he just interviewed so-and-so. That sounds like fun. I think I'd like to do that. I didn't hear any women, but I figured that's because they just hadn't applied. And that's why I was like, you know, you know, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. You know, <laughs> I was ready to just get in there and do that thing. I had no idea. There were women doing a cooking show or doing recipes or all this stereotypical. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it wasn't for me. I wanted to play the hits. I wanted to be their best friend. I wanted to make them happy. And yeah, I knew from the time I was a kid that that's what I wanted.
2: Did you, uh, practice in your bedroom? Did you, uh, make recordings of yourself? Things like that? Did you, did you just pretend that you were on the radio in some way?
1: I had to pretend because I didn't have the equipment. Okay. While, you know, one of the gendered things about life back then, the guys got a lot of the equipment, but Mm. that's okay. That's fine. They had the tape recorder. They had this, they had that. God bless them. Okay. I had my imagination and radio is theater of the imagination yeah other than the fact that people can see you when you're on with Stephanie or when you're on with some of those other people when I first started listening to you I had no idea what you looked like I didn't know that you were the handsome devil that you are you know I just but in my mind you were a handsome devil that's all there was to it you know what I'm saying? And But that's my point. With radio, it doesn't matter whether you drop dead gorgeous or whether you're average looking or whether you're whatever. As long as you're an entertainer, as long as you're a best friend, that's what matters to the audience.
2: So when did you first crack a microphone? When did you first go on the air? Was that in college?
1: Probably in college. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And and was that one of the first things you did was make a beeline for the campus radio station? The the
1: day that I, yep, I got there (laughs) and it was like, here I am. And I wasn't expecting the door to get slammed in my face. I don't think about it too often because it just makes me depressed. But the number of times people said no to me just because I was female, Okay. I think we tend to glorify the good old days. Mm. The good old days were great for a small number of people. They sure weren't good for those of us that were different, or for those of us that were non-conforming, or for those of us that had political views outside the mainstream or whatever, whatever, whatever your thing was. Okay. And unfortunately, I didn't want to be the thing that a girl was supposed to want to be. I didn't wanna have babies. I knew that from the time I was four years old. In every population, there are 10 to 12% of that population that are childless by choice. I did not know that. I just knew that it wasn't right for me. I like kids. I like them as long as they're somebody else's, okay? I like to play with them and then I like to give them back to their parents. Here, you let me this, I'm giving it back to you. (laughs) I like to read them stories. So, you know, I'm an entertainer. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I read them stories and then I give them back to their parents. <laughs> but my point is, for the longest time, I knew I wanted to get married, but only if I could have like an equal kind of relationship. I never saw myself as like, I'll do the cooking and the cleaning and the this and that and that. And maybe my husband will bring home his salary. I always saw it like, I'm going to have a career. He's going to have a career and we'll just be the bestest friends ever. And by the grace of God, that is what I have. But I didn't get that till I was like 40. Up until that point, it was like, you know, it was not looking too good for the good guys. So the fact still remains though, that yeah, I knew from the time I was a kid that the things that the traditional society expected of me, it just wasn't me. Like for example, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I got into rock and roll radio for the music, not for the lifestyle. But I think a lot of people expected because I was in album rock, oh, Hippie Chicka likes to party. I do like to party. I love to dance. I just don't like to drink, okay? And the guy's in Rush always accommodating of the fact that i didn't do any of that stuff. they never put me down for it they never mocked me i have been mocked for that yes i have i have had people make fun of me i've had people insult me too bad okay everybody's got to find their own path let a thousand flowers bloom okay and for me i loved the music i loved being able to get that new music on the air i loved interviewing the bands i loved getting to know them didn't want to necessarily have sex with them, thank you very much. Didn't necessarily want to do cocaine with them, thank you very much. Like I said, I loved radio. Yeah. The lifestyle for some of it mm, wasn't for me. Payola wasn't for me, okay? I mean, I wasn't very well paid, but the idea of taking bribes, eh, kind of didn't appeal to me. So there it is. The thing is, radio gave me a place that, yeah, I had to carve it out, and maybe I wasn't the most welcomed person in that era, but it gave me a place where I could do what I loved, get paid for it, and let's be honest, if I hadn't been on radio, if I hadn't been at WMMS, if I hadn't gotten that Rush album and given it a spin and put Working Man on the air and championed the band... So many people would never have become friends with me. I don't delude myself for one minute. An awful lot of the folks who originally wanted to get friendly with me were in many cases people that didn't want to be friendly with me at all when they found out I didn't do all this stuff. But now that I was like the person who discovered Rush and I could get them backstage, suddenly I was the most important person (laughs) ever. And that's fine. It's a transactional business. It's a transactional life. Mm -hmm. But I've never fallen into that. I've never lost sight of the fact that all along the way, some people were nice to me. Some people were kind to me. If I can remember them and tell their stories, I'm going to keep doing it. And for the people that weren't nice to me and weren't kind to me, hey, folks, I survived in spite of you. And (laughs) I'm still here.
2: Yes, indeed. Deal with it. Right. Winning awards, all kinds of accolades. So what was Oh, I can't
1: tell you how many people told me I'd never be anything in life. I'm like, yep, you're right. Yep. (laughs) Very true. Never was anything. There it is.
2: So here's the best way to listen to The Bob Seska Show without all these commercial interruptions. Just go right now to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Show or just bobseskashow.com. Scroll on down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast and sign up for just $15 per month. In exchange for your super generous support, we're going to give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday show, the Wednesday show, the Thursday show. Plus, you're going to get the Shadow Docket show every Tuesday and Thursday. But wait, there's more. You're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly Johnson included in that level of support. All for just $15 per month. Boy, that's a lot of stuff. Again, bobseskashow.com, and we thank you. Delve into the
1: shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall.
2: So what was it that finally convinced that campus radio station to give you a show? What finally four years of persistence. So you just tenacity Um, and
1: also let's be honest here. The society was starting to change. Yeah. The women's movement at first was just kind of regarded as like a bunch of weirdos, bunch of kooks, bunch of people that can't get a husband. But gradually some of our concerns started resonating with people and people started paying more attention. And by late 1968, 69, the whole society's changing. Mm-hmm. You're getting many more protests of the Vietnam War. You're getting more, you know, impetus from the civil rights movement. You're getting more impetus from the gay rights movement. You're getting people standing up and saying, hey, enough with this discrimination. Things need to change. So maybe the people at the radio station were caught up in some of that thinking. Maybe they were looking at the society around them with the anti-war protests, with the civil rights protests, with the women's rights protests, and the gay rights protests, and thinking, you know, an all-white, all-male radio station, maybe it's time for something different. And I was the something different. And like I said, The Republic did not fall. I still have my fan mail. There were people that actually liked listening to me. Now, was I the best DJ in the history of humanity? Probably not. But I'll bet you I was a friend to some people. I'll bet you I encouraged some people. I'll bet you I turned them on to some new music. And you know what? I'm still in touch with some of those people years later. How lucky am I?
2: Oh yeah, and you had to have been a great DJ because we're talking about your first show in college radio, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. By what was it seventy-four? You're at WMMS in Cleveland, introducing the United States to Rush and that first yep. Rush album. That's a, yep. a meteoric climb. As far as a radio career goes, that's a fast turnaround uh, to go to and, a major market. You know
1: what? I wasn't thinking of it in that way. I was thinking of it in terms of being a music director was a wonderful gig. I loved being a music yeah. director. The men got to be program directors, the women got to be music directors. Hmm. But if that's what there was, I maximized it. Okay, and I had a great time being a music director because I did get to hear the new music first. I did get to meet some of the bands. I mean, I'm just a working class kid. Nothing was ever expected. And there I am sitting there with like Bob Seger or Bruce Springsteen or the guys in Rush or Fleetwood Mac or Madonna or this one or that one. I met Dolly Parton, et cetera. I'm not name dropping. I'm just saying if you had told me growing up, Oh, yeah, you know, you're going to a party and Dolly Parton's going to be there. I would have been like, yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) I take the bus to school every day and I don't even have lunch money, for heaven's sake. And I'm going to be sitting in a room with Dolly Parton. Okay. And yet, it happened. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I I am profoundly grateful. Now, again, do I wish I had gotten equal pay? Sure. Sure. Do I wish that I had gotten to like a major market where, well, you know what? I worked in New York. I worked in Cleveland. I worked in Washington, D.C. I worked in Boston. I worked all over the country when I had my consulting biz. I was a guest on a whole bunch of different programs and on some awesome podcasts like yours. But the fact (laughs) remains, I really had a lot of opportunity and better still, I opened the door for other people. For me, that's the thing I feel the best about. I didn't get all the benefits. I got a lot of the crap. I got a lot of the doors getting slammed. I got a lot of the mockery. But I also got a lot of the opportunity. I got to meet some wonderful people. I got to feel like I was making a difference. And I got the satisfaction of knowing that I lived to see it all change for the better. I got to live to see more opportunity. I mentioned Stephanie Miller a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't have been a Stephanie Miller. Not and I'm not saying because of you, Donna, there was a Stephanie Miller. No, I'm saying that back in those days, the idea of a woman talk show host, nope. Women could do, like I said, fashion shows, they could do cooking shows, they could do celebrity gossip shows. But political talk, that was guys. Mm -hmm. And when Randy Rhodes and Stephanie Miller And a few others came along, and let's be fair, Laura Ingram on the right, come on, the fact remains, there were no women doing political talk when I was growing up. That's right. And I lived to see that change. I lived to see more news women. I lived to see more women doing commentary, writing for major newspapers. I lived to see all of it and to know that I had some small part in that I'm profoundly grateful, and I'm glad I was around to see it. I'm glad I was around to be a part of it.
2: You know what I would love to hear one of these days, Donna? Is I'd love to hear one of your old air check tapes. Something from the early '70s, for example. Do you, do you have any of that stuff still laying around? I may, around, all I those may tapes? actually
1: have some. And <laughs> if you've ever listened to your old air checks, you sit there and you cringe.
2: Oh like, yes, I oh do.
1: My God! <laughs> but the fact is, it was a different time. It was a different space. And people were listening for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, was I going to make the world forget the most famous DJ ever? Probably not, but was I making people happy? Was I that friendly voice? Was I that person that played their favorite songs and introduced them to their favorite bands? And it was great to be that
2: person. I want to ask you about the uh, Fox News Dominion settlement as oh, we uh, God, yes, let's. Jump, jump into uh, uh, that. But before we do, I, I, I'm curious, you mentioned you worked in radio in Washington, D.C. What radio station was that? Where did you work in, in Washington? Because I may have heard I you on at the radio. a
1: station called W.A.V.A. Oh, my God. Hollywood. Are you
2: kidding me? Yep. That's the yep. radio station I grew up listening to, Yep. Don Geronimo, uh, yep. when it was the morning zoo in the 1980s. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. I had no idea, Donna, that you worked at WAVA. Oh, the things
1: you find out. I'm telling you, <laughs> yep. I was there.
2: That's yep. amazing. There. All yep. hit power WAVA. Yep. Oh my God.
1: 1977, 78, 79.
2: Who were That's some of the jocks? Who were some of the other jocks on the station at that time?
1: Um, Do you to be honest with you, they're long gone and hard to find. <laughs> okay. But um, but it was uh, quite an incredible experience. Wow! And I got to meet Shirley Chisholm, who yeah. I absolutely bowed before. God rest her soul. What a great politician! I got to work on a bunch of campaigns. That's kind of where some of my political sensibilities got activated. I had always been interested in politics, but being in Washington D.C., there were so many events, so many things happening. Mm-hmm. Even if it wasn't really my bailiwick, because I was on the music side, you know, it was a small station. Everybody knows everybody. People are going out to cover something. I kind of tag along. It was fun.
2: That radio station is one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Listening to WAVA yep. for hours yep. on end, recording songs off the radio for yep. because we couldn't buy yep. our albums in the record stores. I was still too young for that. So yep. I would make mixtapes just recording it off the radio. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I remember all the jingles and all the DJs. Oh, oh, I, I, I can God.
1: still sing all the jingles at every station that I ever <laughs> was listening to back then. Sure.
2: Oh, that's amazing. It's just incredible the things you learn. All right. So it's a good day to have a So speaking
1: of Fox News, yes, let's talk about that. Very beginning. Right. I said to you something like Fox with air quotes around it. (laughs) And and that's a very I have a very real question. Yeah. Given all the stuff that we know from the Dominion depositions and the discovery that was released to the you know into the universe and given stuff that a lot of us have suspected for years is it accurate for the mainstream media to refer to that channel as Fox News
2: no other than it being the technical name of the network, uh, there is no justification for that name. That name is purely it's a branding the news. slogan. Like exactly. people have
1: asked me all the well, how did they get away with saying, you know, we report you? Decide? It was a branding slogan.
2: Yeah. You yeah. can
1: call yourself anything. I can call myself the Queen of France and trademark it. Now, <laughs> does that make me the Queen of France? Nope. So Fox News always had a small news division. It was small for a reason, because it sort of gave them political cover. Anytime anybody said, oh, you're the media arm of the Republican Party, which is what they were designed to be, they could say, no, 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 look at, look at, these are our real honest-to-God news reporters. And they were, all three of them. (laughs) But the, you laugh, that's basically how many there were. Right. Um, And the emphasis was always on the partisan commentators, always. But they had enough of a news presence to almost kind of be like a fig leaf, okay? But now we know, thanks to the Dominion depositions, that even the news reporters were told not to cover the story. They were told not to report on the Dominion story. They were told not to talk about the lies and the stuff that was being said about the election being rigged and the fact that people were being misled. They were literally told not to report. So how does that make them a news channel?
2: Yeah. It's interesting because it's either they incriminate themselves on the air or they deny lying either way they're kind of screwed and so i I, so here's
1: the problem here's the and this is donna the professor here i'm putting my little professor hat on okay Mm -hmm. um in media analysis there is a theory and i love a good theory um there's a theory Mm -hmm. called selective exposure theory selective exposure theory did you ever like know that there was something but you just didn't know what it was called So this is one of those situations. So selective exposure theory is when you intentionally provide only that information that makes you comfortable, that doesn't go against what you believe, that doesn't cause any cognitive dissonance. Where confirmation bias is like you seeking it out, selective um, exposure theory is like it being provided to you. Okay, like Mm. here it is, so it's both sides of the equation. I'm seeking out stuff that tells me that my group is the one that's really discriminated against. And oh, I'm a channel that will provide that for you. You want grievance? We got grievance here, check it out. Look at how discriminated against your group is. So I suggest to you that the people that ran Fox News were very well aware that a large portion of their channel was comprised of Trump viewers. And the Trump viewers did not want to be told that he had lost the election. So what was Fox's job in order to keep ratings and keep those people happy? Tell them what they wanted to hear. Tell them that Trump didn't lose the election. Tell them that there was massive fraud, that it was rigged, okay? So this does not violate what people expect. It does not violate their comfort zone. It makes them happy. And it misinforms 35 to 40% of the population. Big
2: problem. I mean, Ethically speaking, there are strictures for that kind of deception where you're presenting yourself as a news network, but you're not actually delivering the or you're sculpting the news to have a particular goal, a particular to tweak a particular bias. That's how their news. Right. And, their and, news and for those works.
1: fans who are listening and who are throwing things at the radio because I don't match up with their particular ideology, I'm very comfortable saying both sides do this to some degree. Now, Fox News has elevated it to a science, but I would be lying if I said that no left-wing commentator has ever slanted the news, ever. They're all choir boys and choir girls. Mm-hmm. No, there are some people on the left that I just cringe when I listen to them. And there are other people on the left that are like, yeah, I know it's opinion, but at least it's based on fact. Yeah, Same with the right. There are some conservatives that I can listen to, like, for example, Charlie Sykes or Tim Miller. I'm not with them on every single thing, but I think they are making a good faith effort to be honest. I think this is what they really believe, and I don't think that they are lying to the public. But there are commentators, many of whom work over at Fox. That I believe are intentionally slanting things, intentionally being dishonest, and they're doing it for the ratings, just like clickbait on the internet. And yeah, Yeah. that's a huge ethical dilemma. Great for the ratings, terrible for the society.
2: I, yeah, I would say it's a rule exception uh, dynamic uh, where Fox News, the rule is to deceive. The exception is to tell the truth. And they b- hardly ever do the exception with, I think, some more left-leaning That's why platforms. Shepard
1: Smith left.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's one of the reasons
1: why Shepard Smith, you know, as the channel, marginalized the news department more and more and more. Now, Shepard Smith, had been there since the beginning of the channel. He was one of those, like, three news people. And he was an actual news person. You go look at his credentials. They were very solid, very stable credentials. But as the channel moved more and more in a Trumpy direction, and as the commentators began spreading more and more conspiracy theories and attacking the news department on the air, and nobody was defending them, Mm -hmm. Shep finally just said you know what can't deal with this Chris Wallace the same way Chris was like Mr. Right down the middle oh yeah okay he had worked for righty places he had worked for lefty places he had worked for right straight down the middle places as long as people left him alone he was fine but when it got to like you gotta remain silent while the rest of the channel airs conspiracy theories he just couldn't do it Mm -hmm. and he finally broke his silence and said you know That's why I left. And I know this. people going, yeah, ha-ha, you ended up at CNN and they canceled your channel. Ha-ha. That's the wrong question to be asking. Mm -hmm. The right question to be asking Mm -hmm. is, why can't factual information be presented on a conservative channel? Yeah. I have never said that conservatives can't be factual. Never said it. But Fox News has a brand where it's like, facts? We don't need no stinking facts,
2: <laughs> and to me that's really problematic. If Fox News had agreed in this settlement to issue an apology, and oh, and, and oh knowing would I have
1: been a happy woman,
2: yeah, well, and knowing that that apology may have fallen on deaf ears, uh, knowing but at that, least
1: it would have been a thing that existed in the world.
2: That's true. Back
1: to back to confirmation bias, mm-hmm. and back to selective exposure theory if you are never being exposed to any other discourse other than the election was rigged. You know, even having people come on the air and saying we misled, we did not tell the truth about X, Y, or Z, even if it's only aired a couple of times, the fact that it's aired at all might open up someone's ears You know, every day you get one more yard, you Mm. know, this is that old joke about, you know, it's a sprint, not a marathon. You know, this is not a marathon. So every day you're kind of sprinting a little bit. You're kind of getting a little bit closer to it. But the fact remains, the rest of the media universe reported on this Fox News. Brett Baer basically covered it in passing in one story very quickly. Howard Kurtz, in passing, very quickly after having been told he couldn't cover it at all until the thing got settled. But other than that, nothing. In the Fox News universe, it's, you know, the same stuff they've been covering for the past X number of years, and nothing happened. Nothing was delivered. Nothing was received. I wonder if this was really about making sure Rupert Murdoch did not have to go on the stand. Yeah, 92 years old, they were trying to avoid having him testify. I would have loved to have been an attorney interviewing or questioning Rupert Murdoch. That would have been interesting. I would have paid money to watch that.
2: The thing with this particular lawsuit is we got a lot of information in the deposition process and the discovery process, which I think was quite valuable as far as learning what was going on behind the scenes at Fox News, plus Rupert Murdoch admitted in his deposition, which... He would have just repeated in the courtroom. I mean, that's what we would have heard in the context of a trial is mainly testimony that would have duplicated what was said in the depositions. So in that regard, Rupert Murdoch admitted that his on-air personalities lied about the election. He did that in the deposition. Oh, yeah. Plus, we had all those text messages and Oh, hello. Those
1: were hilarious. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's more we can do with that to get the word out uh, about Fox News' duplicity and lies with regard to all of this? As
1: long as Fox News and others in the conservative ecosystem remain kind of like a closed society, mm. it's real hard to penetrate. Yeah. Okay. I have friends that only watch Fox News, that only watch Newsmax, that only listen to right wing commentators, if that's the information stream that you are in 24 seven. See, I go to all kinds of places. The fact that I know what Charlie Sykes, who is a conservative, is saying is because I subscribe to his podcast. I subscribe to his newsletter. Ditto for Tim Miller. Ditto for various and sundry other, Jonah Goldberg. I subscribe to all kinds of points of view whether I agree with them or not, because we're all people living in the world and it's in our best interest to know what each other is thinking. Mm-hmm. But this idea that, well, you only listen to your own, that becomes a self reinforcing feedback loop. Okay? You know, the old garbage in, garbage out thing? If all you're being told is conspiracy theories, You think they must be true because after all, you saw it last night at eight o'clock. So therefore, and then you go to some website and it says the same thing and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera. And with no fact checking and no opportunity for any other points of view, A, I despair for the viewers that are stuck in that ecosystem. But B, I despair for democracy because that's how we got January 6th.
2: Do you think those of us who are uh, center-left, left-democrats, et cetera, normals, so to speak, people who are non-Fox News viewers, do you think it's important for us to check in with what's happening on Fox News occasionally just to see what's going on? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And it's also important to have some conservatives, some principled conservatives on our programs to talk with them about issues, see how they line up on certain things, because in some cases— That's how Joe Biden got to be president, thank you very much. It was that 5% of people who just did not buy what Fox was selling and who went looking for something else and found the never-Trumper stream of Republicans and said, ah, okay, yeah, pro-business, pro-this, pro-that, pro-democracy. Yeah, I can get behind that. And these are good people to know. If we can find people, and when I say we, I mean just ordinary human beings who might have a different point of view. If we can find some people that we can align with on certain issues, so much the better for all of us. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be probably center left, but I'm center on some issues and I'm even center right on a few. So I'm fine about finding some allies who could move some legislation forward or who could make the country a little less shouty, because mm-hmm. I think we've all gotten into this shouty face mode, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you don't agree with me, then you're a thing, man, let me tell you about your mama. And it, and I'm like, please give it a rest, okay? Yeah, yeah. So the reality is we're not gonna agree on every issue. I, you know, I have voted Democratic for the past X number of elections. But there have been times when I voted Republican. There have been some moderate Republicans and I felt they were the better choice, so I went with them. There are people out there that we can talk to. Unfortunately, the whole internet culture has become so polarized, so angry, so shouty, that I think we're missing some opportunities to connect. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can't get any Fox News viewers but maybe there's some people on the internet just looking for a different point of view and maybe we can reach out to them and give them that different point of view.
2: Okay, one last break, back with more Donna Halper right after
0: these words. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
2: You know, I don't know if there's a solution to what I'm about to subscribe, uh, describe, Donna, but this is something that I've witnessed over the years and ties back into our discussion about broadcast radio. And that is, I get the sense that a lot of Fox News' opinion commentators, opinion hosts, the prime time lineup, the Fox and Friends morning show. It seems to me as if they're composed of people who are more or less, in terms of values, empty vessels into which you can pump Ideology. And because they're getting a substantial paycheck to relate that ideology on the air, uh, they do it. They go ahead and, and they don't care. They don't have any sort of grounding and any sort of real value. Oh, yeah, it's
1: transactional. It's yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. I'll be this, I'll be that. Tucker Carlson used to be your common or garden variety Republican. Right. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when there was nothing. Controversial about Tucker Carlson. I mean, yeah, he had this wise guy persona, you know, like he thought he was the smartest kid in the room when in reality he wasn't. But his views back in the late 1990s and early 2000s were just like, Mm yawn, heard this from just about every Republican. I have no idea what radicalized him or if he's just in it for the money.
2: But along those lines, did you witness any radio people who decided at some point that maybe personality driven radio was no longer a lucrative career path? So, uh, at least on FM radio, th- who decided then to become conservative talk radio hosts even though they're not in real life that conservative. I noticed that quite a bit in the uh, 90s and 2000s when I was uh, in broadcast radio. And it was really disconcerting to see, see?
1: that's where the, but that's where the money was. right exactly. After deregulation, conservatives really jumped in quick. Yeah. Liberals were a lot slower. They kind of came late to the party. By the time they came in, most of the good frequencies were already taken, most of the big signals were already occupied, and unfortunately, like I said, we sort of missed the bus. So the fact remains that being a conservative talk show host and really, you know, complaining about all the things that were wrong and this and that, grievance, 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 it was lucrative. Mm -hmm. It was really lucrative. Now. I'm not Yogi the mind reader. I'm good, but I ain't that good. I have no idea how some of these people felt. With Rush Limbaugh, we know. We have a record, okay? Rush Limbaugh came from a very conservative family. I would have been stunned if he wasn't a conservative talk show host, because everybody Mm -hmm. else in his family was a pretty well-known conservative. But as far as all the others, I have no idea. I don't know if they were just in it for the money or whatever. But there again, you got to ask yourself, do I really want to sell my soul just for a paycheck? Okay. And for some people, I guess the answer was, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And for others, it may have been at the time it was a business decision. And then gradually when you swim in that stream for long enough, maybe you start believing some of it.
2: And that's what makes it so hubristic and awful is that, Tucker Carlson doesn't believe a word that he's saying on his show. He's really good at pretending to have integrity, pretending to believe in what's coming up on the prompter for him, but it just doesn't exist in real life.
1: Well, well, the thing that's amusing to me is that so many of these hosts, Try to present themselves like we're for the common man and they're mm-hmm. living in a walled fortress and a mansion with tons of servants, yeah. you know, like, so, well, if you're for the common man, the only time you ever see the common man is maybe on a zoom screen. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time they tried to come to your house, you'd have them arrested.
2: They just oh yeah yeah and they don't care about the common man insofar as uh the uh, all they care about really is that the common man is there giving them ratings and buying well, there's them something run. else too yeah. when
1: donald trump said i am your retribution mm-hmm. in addition to that being chilling yeah um yeah. it really does seem like And again, to my Republican friends, I love you. I adore you. I kiss you. But in today's Republican party, it really seems like the organizing principle is we pick a group to hate and then we give you permission to hate on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when Trump says I'm your retribution, that's it. It's like I'm the person that tells you that it's okay to have all these grievances. I'm the person that tells you that it's okay to hate on, pick one, trans people, gay people, liberals, Jews, you know, people with Jewish space lasers, whoever it is, okay? The fact is, it's okay to hate them. And that's a terrible way to run a political party. That may get people to be real activists and win you primaries, But in the general election, if all you got is, I want to ban books and make sure that trans people can't have medication, uh, that's your party? Yeah. I want to make sure that even if a woman is sexually assaulted, she can't. that's That's your party? So... I'm old enough to remember a time when, no, that wasn't your party.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: There were actual ideas and beliefs. Now, the ideas and beliefs were sometimes things I didn't agree with, but at least there were some.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm just not seeing it. All I'm seeing is this seething mass of resentment, hatred, anger, paranoia. Oh, my God, a black person came to my door. I better take out my gun. You know, I Mm -hmm. mean, it's just I'm just stunned by it the degree to which we've been taught to hate each other on that side of the aisle it's like i don't hate republicans i just don't understand if gay people are married who that hurts Unhurt hurt me right. if gay people want to get a wedding cake how how does that harm anybody i'm heterosexual i'll be heterosexual tonight Tomorrow morning, I'll still be heterosexual. And if my gay friends can get a wedding cake, what's it to me? Mm -hmm. But, you know, and here's a book that mentions LGBT. So what? So if you don't want your five-year-old to read it, don't read it to your five-year-old. But banning it from the library? But there again, if it's all about organizing around groups that deserve retribution, uh, I found that profoundly troubling, profoundly sad. And it's something that the rest of us really need to take on and say, no, not for me, thanks.
2: This uh, anti-trans movement you were mentioning, um, that kind of emerged based on what I know, that emerged from the podcasting space. Yes. And from what I can see or what I can kind of extrapolate out into the future, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere good. This could lead to many more suicides, many more uh, attacks on trans people on top of the legislation that's being passed in all these red States. How does this end? How does this get bottled up again or does it?
0: And and
1: as a professor, I can tell you I have had trans students, perfectly nice people. Mm. You know, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm just saying, you know, in fact, in, in, most cases it's like you know if this didn't come up in conversation it would have been oh another student in my class they're yeah. human beings right i shouldn't have to say that um and for those that see that differently because of their religion fine I, you're talking to somebody who used to be a chaplain i understand that different religions teach different things but we don't have a theocracy. Mm-hmm. We don't have the, you know, well, the Bible, fine with me. I read the Bible every day. I read it a couple of hours ago. I'll probably read it tomorrow. But the fact still remains, I don't believe the Bible is our founding document. I believe the Constitution is our founding document. Absolutely. And discrimination, cannot go for it. Sorry, mm-hmm. just can't. Having been the victim of it, don't want to see it done to anybody else. I lived through anti-Semitism. Thank you very much. It was no fun. All right. I do not have fond memories of being pushed down a flight of stairs and being called a Christ killer. Okay. No. Yes, that did happen to me Jeez. when I was in school. Yes. Okay. And the principal advised me to not be so Jewish. Okay. Just like, Wow. okay. So, yeah. So there was that. So that was a thing that happened in the world. So, If you want to go back to that, I'm not there for you. I'm just not. And to me, it's like we started with one group. Now we're on to another group. Now we're on to the next group. And this guy is like, I'm your retribution. No, no, babe. No, you're none of those things. Just like, go away. Okay, just don't even talk about it. Don't turn one group against another. If your religion teaches that there's no such thing as trans, fine. I respect your views, okay? But please don't try to impose them on the entire society. Please
2: don't. So, Donna, congratulations again on being inducted Forgive into the Forgive
1: the of Fame. rant, but I just. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> intolerance wonderful. is just. Yeah, if I, I'm intolerant about anything, I'm intolerant of intolerance.
2: Yeah, let them have it. Absolutely. Congratulations on being Thank inducted you. into the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's such Thank you an honor for having
1: me on your show. I mean, I just God, I love being on your show. It's such a privilege. Oh, I
2: love having you. It's an honor to know you, Donna. You are an absolute legend, and I'm so happy for all of your success and everything that you've been able to achieve. These accolades are so well earned and so well deserved. It's just an incredible thing to watch, and I'm, I'm so glad for you. Um, Thank you
1: so much. It's It's just a privilege. I'm delighted, and, you know, by the grace of God, we're all still here today, and <laughs> let's just get out there and make the most of it.
2: The uh, blog is dhelperblog.blogspot.com. I have a link in the description. Plus, your Twitter handle is Devorah Leah. On uh, Devorah,
1: yes, that's my Devorah. Hebrew name, Deborah Leah.
2: There you go. And so you're on. You're still on Twitter. You're not abandoning Twitter oh, yet. Oh God, yes, I, okay. I have
1: not left. I'm not going to give Elon the satisfaction. I am
2: <laughs> good stolen. Good for you. Well, it was great talking to you again. Great seeing you.
1: Much love. Thank you for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Much love.
2: You bet. Talk to you next time.
0: Low, ground control, can save me. ta no. Sip your tea, or you're on the edge of your seat. Song, to sing along while I pave the way I'm a wrecking crew, i